the Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, The Force Awakens and its brought purchasing woes and weirdos out the woodwork. Marvel properties making their way to our TV screens. Red Sonya, Captain America, and the return of the unstoppable Glue Raff. Reviews you can trust. News you need. The kick-butt poll of the week. Plus, martial arts madness meets second-person narration. You must fight them all, Iron Fist. Comics from the 70s make me happy, but what will the rest of the crew think? You'll find out in mere minutes, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue number 647 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing this episode with a friend. And hey, listen, we are two weeks away from Halloween. So now would be a very good time to stock up on your Reggie bars and your wacky wafers to give out to the kids in the neighborhood. Um, so Rodrigo is here. Matthew is Hello. here. Uh, Ashley is not here. She may be joining us later. She's stuck in traffic. Uh, she had emailed me earlier today and said that um, that uh, she was in a, doing a screen test or ca- called back for a screen test. So good for her. Cool. We want her to be uh, famous so that uh, we can ride her coattails. Um, <laughs> yes. Hey, look, the new Star Wars trailer is here. Oh, the new phone books are here. What do you guys think? This is only this is the second and final Star Wars trailer. I haven't seen that. What? What is your problem, man? I gave you a link right there to click on it and watch sick. it at Majorspoilers.com. Dude, I'm sick. Ugh, Rodrigo. Hey man, what's up? Did you watch it? I did watch it. And what'd you think? I thought it was interesting. Um it was cool to see um some interactions between the characters. I think the best shot of it is um, basically that pilot guy and that stormtrooper yep. guy, and they yep. walk by each other, and one of them nudges the other, mm-hmm. and the stormtrooper guy like turns around and looks at him, like and like that look is meaningful. Mm-hmm. But you can also interpret it as like, why the hell did that guy just tap me? Like yeah, yeah. I've never seen him before in my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like I thought that was great. And that's not obviously not what it means. You can read into it that that's not what it means. I bet it means they fake um, the moon landing. Yeah, it does. No, it means it's never mind. <laughs> so uh, it looks interesting. I mean, I didn't see anything in that trailer that makes me want to watch it less. Yeah. And this is an interesting thing. I mean, they've only released two official trailers, right? There was the one that came out a year ago in November that had everybody excited. And then this one, and that's it. You know, if this were Iron Man or if this were Captain America or uh, Superman versus Batman, we'd have a hundred million trailers right now with 75% of the, uh, the movie revealed in those trailers. Right. What's going on? What does no, the poster mean? This is Star Wars, right? I mean, uh, I think people are really excited about going. And, and they did this really interesting bit to kick off this trailer. Now, it's not uncommon for um, studios to release a trailer for a movie during a big sporting event. I mean, the Iron Man 3 trailer came out during the Super Bowl a couple of years ago when people were very excited about that. And they've done the same thing with Captain America and other movies. Uh, they released this one on Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. And man, 
People were so upset about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I got to watch this stupid football game. I want to watch me my Star Wars trailers. I just found it kind of funny. And then again, I didn't watch the game. Um, but a, but I guess as they were getting close to halftime, there's like seven seconds left. And then they had to take a timeout. And so they went to a commercial break and then they came back and then they had to reset the clock to something else. And that made people even angrier. Uh, just funny how how excited people are about this movie. Uh, but not everybody's excited. Have you guys seen this uh, this <sighs> thing where where people like, what is it? Boycott Star Wars. Is that the hashtag? I didn't even write yeah. it down. Boy, but, yeah. Boycott, uh, boycott Star Wars episode episode seven. Or, oh, or, now, what's what's going on with this, Matthew? Well, uh, if I understand it correctly, what had happened was this started showing up and. A trolling group on the internet has taken credit for starting it, but they started it, and the implication was, well, you shouldn't watch Star Wars because it's it's uh, it's uh, edging out white people and they have too much diversity in the film. And apparently it started attracting real racists and real crazy people and turned into a big thing before the people came out and went, ha-ha, we trolled you. But there are people, um, whether serious or not serious, who believe that you should boycott this film because of the fact that there are African-American people and people who are not Caucasian in it, because the original Star Wars was apparently all white people. Hey, good. You know what? I hope they do boycott it because I don't need a bunch of jerkwads in my movie theater. That's, that's kind of the way I am, too. You know, you can boycott whatever you want for whatever reason you want. But frankly, this reason feels a little specious. Even oh, if you're, it's so stupid. Even if you're serious. It is so I, stupid. I don't know that the people who started it were. But, you, yeah. You know, the, any any reactions, Rodrigo? Uh, yeah, I saw that on Twitter, like yeah, late yesterday, and it was uh, you know, the, the idea that maybe it was like people joking around and then racists took it over makes a lot more sense, I think, because it's it's pretty crazy to think yeah. that like start like the original trilogy is super white. Right. And then in the, you know, what is the 90s, when George Lucas is like, I'm going to make a new Star Wars, he cast all white people again. Mm -hmm. So it's like, except for the space aliens, some of them aren't white. I believe Jimmy Smith's appears in episode three. Yeah, he plays plays the king of uh, Alderaan. Yeah, Yeah, Bail Organa. Right. So, which again, it's like, uh, to me, it's obviously the opposite of that, right? Um, not only that, like, they're like, okay, well, this Star Wars is going to have, uh, I forget his name, uh, his last name is Boyega, mm-hmm. um, as, you know, and he's cool, he's swinging lightsaber around, and then, like, and Lupita Nyong'o is going to be on it. And I remember watching that, uh, like, behind the scenes thing that they had out, the one that says, yeah. like, rail sets, Mm-hmm. practical effect you know that one right right and then seeing Comic-Con. A, a shot of uh, lupita nyong'o with all of the motion capture dots and just being mm-hmm. so annoyed at that right it's like we almost had two whole black people in star wars right it's like but we can never actually manage two entire black people and that, i think the argument that to me is the most frustrating is that this is somehow a, and the phrase had been used, and again, I hope, tongue-in-cheek, that it's somehow cultural appropriation to not have all white people in this, you know, time long, long ago. And 
what it really boils down to, to me, is A, there's no reason for any of that to be an issue in Star Wars. There's no reason for anyone to go into a movie and, you know, immediately say, I'm going to boycott it because X sight unseen. So that's why I, I think that the trolling theory makes sense up to a point. I, I hope it is just people trying to make a joke of it that just went horribly wrong because, man, dumb people. Am I right? Uh, yeah. Here's the other thing. If they did boycott, that's a good thing because uh, good luck trying to get tickets to the opening night. Mm-hmm. The, immediately after the uh, the trailer debuted on uh, Monday Night Football, ticket sales went up for a bunch of different uh, theater chains, AMC, Fandango, all those uh, online ticket sales stores just were swamped and sold out. And according, I believe it was Variety that I was looking at uh, something like they know for sure at least six and a half million tickets were sold already for the movie, which is a lot. So much so that uh, a good friend of the show and Nicole Spagnolo said that she saw that tickets are going on eBay for $400 right now. Wow. Yes. That's a lot to spend to see a movie opening night. Well, I mean, I suppose if you really, really, really wanted to go and you couldn't hit the refresh button on your, your browser fast enough, uh, then and maybe yeah, you would pay that. I don't know. And if you, well, it was pretty difficult, like Fandango was pretty, did like, you it get, was actually offline. Yeah. Yeah. Did you try to get tickets, Rodrigo? Yeah, we did. We got we got tickets for I want to say Thursday Thursday night. Like mm. the seven o'clock stuff was like oh the very first show immediately. Oh okay. But I think we got like a we're going to like an eight thirty showing, which is you know reasonable. No oh, man, you're not going to be first. And actually, you won't that be first because you're on the West Coast now. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And I'm I'm I've been debating because it's like. I'm pretty sure our local theater is going to have plenty of tickets because nobody likes our local theater, especially on a Thursday night during uh, close to finals week or no. Yeah. Finals week. Yeah. There's going to be nobody in town. So I'm pretty sure I can get tickets on opening night if we want to go see it for, for Zach on film. But there's Saturday, there's Sunday, there's Monday, there's all Thanksgiving break. Or I'm sorry, not Thanksgiving, Christmas break. Uh, so there'd be plenty of opportunities for people to see it. So maybe it's the. You know, everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to talk about it around the water cooler on Monday morning. Everybody wants to uh, say I was there when. Let's hope the movie's good. Remember all those people that wanted to be there when uh, Star Wars Episode One came out? Oh, come on. Star Wars Episode One is actually worse in hindsight. No, it is worse in hindsight. But a lot of people I remember because I was in Atlanta at the time. What's with this job? This this one's Jar Jar face. Everybody, everybody came out of there and was just like, this was not the movie I wanted to see. And um, a lot of people were disappointed. So I I think if people watch these two trailers and there's a supercut, I think it's uh, Screen Junkies, I think, did a supercut. Of the the two trailers together, which for the most part is edited really, really well, except for there's a weird, a weird uh, change about in the last third of it. Um, It's a really nice mashup of the two two trailers, and it gives you a much, much better idea of what uh, the movie's going to be about. And so go check that out. It's over on YouTube. I think it's Screen Junkies. Just look for the Screen uh, Slam. Oh, Screen Slam. Okay, Star Wars trailer supercut. You can go search for that uh, there. And there you go. Oh, uh, uh, Marvel and FX Fox uh, Network Ooh. are co-producing a Hellfire Club and a Legion TV series. There's two separate uh, series. Right. But uh, Matthew, everybody wants their Legion, right? No. Why Nobody not? Nobody knows who Legion is. Nobody wants a guy walking around with a nine foot uh, uh, buzz cut. All right. I'm going to tell you. Razor I, head. I, I, I am. I walked I am around with a nine foot uh, flat top back in the 90s. You did, actually. Um, here's the thing. 
I am a super nerd. Yeah. Even I'm not sure who Legion is. Um, I, Legion is actually the son of Professor X from the X-Men, who I believe his original concept was he had psychic powers because he had multiple personalities because his superpowered brain absorbed the minds of real people. Ah, I'm not interested. Well, the last thing I saw him in was a couple of years ago. He had an extended run as the main character of X-Men Legacy. Mm -hmm. And if they're basing it on that, I think that it might fly. And the fact that nobody knows who Legion is, is probably going to work to their advantage. Now, on the other hand, nobody knows who the Hellfire Club is. But if they use their traditional costumes, no one's going to care. Right. They do kind of know who the Hellfire Club is, because if you watched uh, X-Men First Class, the Hellfire Club is mentioned in there a couple of times. Bacon was in the Hellfire Club. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, that one, the one girl who was supposed to be a super capable spy stripped down to her underwear. Yes. So that she could go into the Hellfire Club. Yes. So Hellfire Club is there. And this show apparently is going to be taking place in the 1960s as someone a secret agent learns about a power-hungry woman and the extraordinary ability she has working with a clandestine society of millionaires known as the Hellfire Club to take over the world. That Boy, could I be an interesting premise. I would imagine it's Emma Frost. It could be Emma Frost. I think that as a period piece, it will work better. Oh, yeah. Cold War stuff. Because did uh, I did not get a chance to see Man from U.N.C.L.E. But if I remember correctly, it did all right in the theaters. Mm, I don't know. And that, that's a Cold War period piece. I think that the thing about the Hellfire Club, though, that will work for them is that in the 80s, they were borrowed from the Avengers, which was made in the 60s -hmm. as an actual thing in the 60s, flashing back to the 1880s. So technically, it's a time travel story that should work perfectly in the 60s because that's where they got the initial impetus was that episode of the Avengers where Emma Peel went undercover and looked amazing. Um, Not that I'm biased or anything. But yeah. I think that if if they do it true to the comics with some of the, the idiots that we've seen in the comics, this could be really fascinating because there were always power struggles and weird stuff going on. And, of course, Mastermind was in it. And he's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing for me is if, if they can do it as a period piece and be really faithful and commit the money to doing it as a period piece, it could be very fascinating. Uh, what was the, the TV show? It was a BBC production that got moved to the U.S. about a guy who was uh, woke up in the 1970s as a detective. Um, oh, was it man? Uh, um, the Mar- Marsh? No, I forget what it was. Something Mars. Life on Mars. Life on Mars. Uh, that one. Ashes to Ashes, I think, was the sequel. Yeah. And then there was a uh, there's a show that's, I guess, going on now or I, I watched the pilot it was for free on iTunes about some corrupt cops in the 19 uh, late 1960s, early 70s in New York. And that's kind of period piece, although they slip in and out of it kind of uh, occasionally. And that's the only thing that I'm worried about is if you're going to commit to a period piece, that means all the vehicles have to be period piece cars. That means all the people walking around in the background have to be period piece garb. That means all the set dressing has to be period piece. That gets expensive very, very quickly. Does that concern you? Look like Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Does that concern you, Rodrigo? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, nowadays they can make a lot of like CG streets on the cheap. Um, as long as they just, you know, have somebody checking continuity and checking that kind of stuff, they should mm-hmm. be okay. Yeah. Cause remember the, there was this time period where all the cowboys of the old West wore, uh, uh, bright pink fringy jackets and all those good things. Yeah. And, <laughs> and none of that ever happened in, in real life. So that totally or, happened in real life. 
Yeah. Roy Rogers dressed like in Roy Rogers, but not in the 1800s. Uh, but you Roy get these weird from the 1800s. You get these weird anachronisms where, you know, uh, a telephone that didn't show up until 1975 shows up in a scene from 1962. Those kinds of things are really weird. Sure, Although yeah. if you just do everything with bake like phones, then um, it's it's timeless. Uh, I'm looking also, here. You know, the question to be asked of is everyone going to notice that? It, right. Exactly. Mm. So uh, I'm looking at the man from uncle cost $75 million, made a hundred million dollars worldwide. So it was okay. So maybe that's one of the, the pushes on this. It guys heard, more money. Have you guys heard the, uh, the weird rumor about uh, why Marvel is co-producing this with FX networks? Tell us no. I don't know if I believe this. It's really kind of hard to believe because first of all, Hellfire Club and Legion are both X-Men characters, which are owned by 20th century Fox. So if 20th right. century Fox wants to do a TV show, knock yourselves out. But the question is, why is Marvel co-producing this? Well, obviously, they're co-producing it because they want a part of the action and they are, you know, they still have the rights to um, X-Men to an extent. Now, 20th Century Fox may only own the movie rights, but it's pretty easy to extend that to television. Um, The rumor is that Marvel has agreed to do this because the trade-off is that they get the Fantastic Four franchise back. Yeah, I saw that. Didn't they say that there was nothing solid on that? And nobody said anything solid about it. So it's a rumor. There were a bunch of rumors floating around about it. Some people were reporting it as 100% true. Well, and that's the problem with sites that uh, play the the phone line game with their news reporting. Watch the skies. Watch the skies, though. That's what I say. You never know. Something may happen. But it just seems a little odd, especially with the whole Perlmutter uh, Fiji thing going on. Um, Well... What if it's an even weirder conspiracy? What if with uh, Perlmutter and Feige now being on separate on uh, mortal agents, enemies, Perlmutter has decided that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That could be it, he's too. He's going to go into business with the people who won't go into business with Marvel movies mm-hmm. so that he has access to the properties that Feige doesn't control. It could be. It just gets so weird when you go down that rabbit hole. I'll just wait for an official press release. How about that? Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else is going on? Oh, hey, don't forget, we're doing a a flashback podcast. If you like the TV show Flash, Matthew and I go in-depth on each episode each week. And the only way you can get that podcast is by becoming a VIP member over at members.majorspoilers.com. Think of it as our own private Patreon, right? You uh, become a a very important person. Yes, you become a very important person. You pay a low monthly fee, two, five, ten dollars whatever you want, really. Um, and you're able to keep this show going on week after week after week. And you get access to things like the bonus tracks and uh, flashback and original art and behind the scenes stuff all over at members.majorspoilers.com. The holiday season's just around the corner. What better way to treat yourself than by becoming a VIP? $10 for a Christmas gift, man, $10 a month. That is fantastic. It's a gift that'll last all year round. It's kind of like those bacon of the month clubs uh, that people <laughs> subscribe to. It's like you pay at one time gift that keeps on giving. And it's so small too. I think uh bacon of the month club is like $25 a month. Look at them. Bacon is gone in like one morning, like within an hour, it's gone. Major spoilers keeps giving three sixty five. That's what it is. Uh, October 31st, be on the lookout for Comic Fest, Halloween Comic Fest at your local comic book store. Uh, you get free comics during Halloween Comic Fest on Saturday, October 31st. A bunch of great things going on. Uh, some cool comics. Uh, there's something from Actionverse, Vamp Blade, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Psycho Bonkers get some full-size comic releases. That's These are all sick. free. 
Then they've got some mini comics and I'm a big fan and I haven't done this in a while. It's probably too late to contact my comic book guy. Used to be a time where I'd get my comic book guy to send me like 50 of the little mini world of Archie comics. Right. And they're just little quarter sized uh, comics or half size comics. You just throw yeah. those out into the kids, uh, into the kids, uh, Halloween baskets. Sure. Rot their minds instead of their teeth. Exactly. And, uh, what so better way to do it than what better way to do it with the world of Archie, which is one of the mini comics coming out world this week. Check Archie. with your local comic shop on, um, well, check them out this week. So, you know, when all their activities are going on next week, and there you go. Uh, let's see. Let me double check. See if Ashley is uh pop back in. I do not see her. So we will now move on to reviews. Rodrigo, why don't you uh, do a review this week? Reviews. Okay. Uh, Sorry, I was see. muted. So, uh, this week, I am looking at a video game uh, for the iPad called Soda Dungeon. Mm, okay. Which uh, was also, I believe, um, Depeche Mode's second album. Uh, in which sure the Soda Dungeon is where uh, Veruca Salt got turned into a blueberry. I'm gonna say it's it's in Depeche Mode's second album, which is also where your own personal Patreon uh, comes from. <laughs> Sorry, I stepped all over your joke, man. It's it's all you know. It's all right. We're, um, we're used to it. it. Anyway, oh, you are uh, used to it. Guys, um, let me let me do this review, then you guys can fight for that. I want to know about so. Soda Dungeon, please tell me. So, Soda Dungeon Soda. is a game uh, with a pretty interesting premise. You are camped out at a soda tavern that is right next door to a horrific monster dungeon, and it's really great. If you look at the like the little map, it's like this cute little cabin, and then next to it is like a mountain with like a skull in it, and like like lightning bolt clouds above it, like swirling around and like, location, location, great. location. It is. So, uh, you are a person, you don't own the place. Maybe you're like one of the bartenders or something. And you get the bright idea to gather up heroes, send them into the dungeon, follow them in. And then when the monsters, uh, they will fight the monsters and get loot. And then when the monsters chase them off, you scoop up the loot and basically rinse and repeat, <laughs> um, getting progressively uh, larger heroes, which you lure with like different sodas. Okay. Um, so, uh, like warriors like a particular type of soda, and spellcasters like a particular kind of soda. So, once you have enough money, you can start stocking that soda and attracting those people. Um, it is weird. It's a pretty weird premise. For a little game, that's actually a pretty straightforward, like turn-based, uh, turn-based RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically, you go in with a five-person party. You everybody has a little attack that they do, and then once the monsters beat you up, you take all the resources that you have, which is actually interesting. Most of most games like this, you're trying to stave off death. You're trying right. to make sure that your guys don't get killed. The only reason to do that here is because the farther you go on any given run, the more money you're going to get. And, you know, otherwise you'll have to start a little bit farther back. Um, So it's interesting that there's this built-in story reason in the game as to why it's okay for you to basically just ram your characters as far as they'll go until they die. Like, which, you know, a lot of people do in RPGs anyway, if the consequences for death aren't high enough, but in this game, you're like actively encouraged to do that. 
So that's, that's an interesting little turn of the mechanics, which maybe we're still there all along than just some clever person in the game or in, who was, you know, uh, coming up with this game was like, what if we write in this thing about why that's okay? So it's pretty interesting. Um, it's fun. It's cute. Uh, it's repetitive, though. Um, just this week, you know, I basically started playing it this week. Uh, it released on uh, October 8th, I want to say. Yeah. But I picked it up. I want to say maybe I picked it up last week and I've been playing it. And, you know, my instances of playing it have gotten shorter and shorter and shorter because it is pretty repetitive. Um, it is a good game to play while you're watching something or while you're listening to something. Um, because it doesn't take a lot of concentration, except uh, during the loadout, basically. When you outfit your heroes and you send them out, you might accidentally, if you just auto-equip them, you might end up with equipment that they can't use. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and that can screw your whole run for that particular dungeon run. So, you know, there's some issues there. Not necessarily a problem with the game, just a problem with the way in which I play the game. Mm. Um Altogether, I'd give it three slices of meatloaf. It's fun. It's interesting. It'll play on my super old iPad. So um, that's nice. The graphics are pretty uh, pretty light. Cool. Um, it's now, got this 8-bit look. It's pretty cool. It's cute. Yeah. I was not a big fan of the, uh, what was it, the bear in the art uh, museum game that right. you had. I was not a fan of that one. Bear but I did really. Yes, but I was a big fan of Loot and Legends. I have enjoyed that game tremendously. Where does yeah, Soda I, Dungeon fit in in that uh, <laughs> in that uh, whatever I would, it is? The, I would say it probably fits in between them. It, it would definitely fit in between them in the Steven scale, with right. Soda Dungeon being in the middle of you know those two. For me, it also does does it that way because um, of the. Um, small payment kind of thing, right? Oh, some yeah. Stuff, yeah, yeah. Some stuff is massively expensive in the game. And some of the stuff that I really want is massively expensive in the game. And by paying 99 cents, you can just get it, right? So, you know, there's some of that. But the game doesn't obstruct your play the way that Bears versus Art does because to play Ver Bears versus Art, you have to pay or you have to wait right it's an energy is one of those energy based games mm -hmm. um, and that can be very frustrating uh, soda dungeon is not but some of the stuff that i'm more interested in like putting weird outfits on my guys um that stuff is costly which makes sense and honestly um if i if it's in me and if i end up playing soda dungeon for another week i'll probably just buy that option for 99 cents because i've played it enough that it's worth supporting right yeah that's usually my rule is like if i play something for two weeks and i still kind of want to go back and play it every once in a while then it's something worth supporting and i'll spend some money on it cool now you uh i saw in one of your your twitters or your facebook posts that you're close to a new game store have you have you uh seen this game or maybe you've played it before called boss monster the dungeon building card game yes is it is is this game that you're reviewing kind of like that? It, it, the difference with boss monsters, is you're the dungeon boss trying to lure the heroes in and throw monsters at them to kill them. But it, it kind of uh, popped right. into so, my mind whenever you were talking yeah. about this game. Boss monster has a lot of similar elements. There's a dungeon. It's got kind of this eight bit look to it. Um, at least some expansions do anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, it's again, you know, lure like heroes into a dungeon kind of stuff. But Boss Monster is 
an inversion of that, right? Soda Dungeon is really not. It's uh, at best a parody of dungeon mm. crawlers. Okay. Um, but then immediately becomes a dungeon crawler. Like the premise is just, it's a dungeon crawler with a clever premise. Basically. Right, right, right. Cool. All right. Well, I may uh, check that out. That is a soda dungeon. Totally free. Definitely check it out. But in-game options, it's rated uh, 12 plus for mild cartoon fantasy violence, mild alcohol, tobacco, or drug use, uh, mild profanity or crude humor. Interesting. It says it's all infrequent, though, so I'm pretty sure an eight-year-old. Yeah, it's it's really not an issue. I think all of those references are pretty veiled, and they're just covering their butts. Mm, Okay. Like... You know, somebody might like, uh, for example, the very first class that you can get are called soda junkies. And they're guys that drink a lot of soda. So they're like they work for soda instead of money. So you can hire them for free. Um, so but they're, they're junkies. They're called junkies. So that right there is an oblique reference to drugs. Right. Which, yeah, yeah. You know, whoever was reading this was probably like, eh, let's just say it has infrequent references to drugs. Yeah. 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 I'm sure. All right. Thank you for that, Rodrigo. Uh, last week, this came out. I didn't have a chance to review it until I uh, didn't have a chance to read it until just the other day. Red Sonia Conan number three. This is from Dynamite Entertainment. This is the third in the uh, Conan uh, Red Sonia crossovers. Uh, last time in uh, Red Sonia uh, Conan, they were battling an army trying to get after this evil wizard. And this o- issue opens up with uh, Conan attempting to uh, lay siege to the castle on his own. And just when you wonder where Red Sonia is, this is why I think the story is so well written by a Victor uh, Gershler, uh, is that you're reading this and I'm reading, and I was like, well, where's Red Sonia at? I thought this was, you know, they were teamed up last time I saw. Boom. Just when you're, you're asking that question internally, she appears in the page and the two of them essentially do a dungeon crawl. I mean, they're fighting giant spiders, they're fighting giant snake monsters, giant three-headed rat monsters, until finally they get up to uh, the end, and um, it has a great cliffhanger where one of Conan's uh, worst enemies returns from beyond. So I can't wait to see how this uh, series plays out. It's been an incredible amount of fun. This is the Red Sonja Conan series, not the Conan Red Sonja series. Um, I think the rate of the... They really are. I mean, it's the team ups, but it's just um, I guess uh, I think it was Dark Horse that did Conan Red Sonia. And because this is dynamite, it's Red Sonia Conan. There's some great writing in here. My favorite uh, line in the whole issue was when Conan is about to lay siege to the uh, the castle and the, the mage appears before him and in, in like a burning pot kind of image. He says, I have no intention of troubling myself with someone with some mouth breathing fool when I'm busy unlocking the powers of the universe. And I just had to laugh because it just felt very pulpy and very tongue in cheek. And, you know, there are some artistic references to some of Conan's earlier looks uh, with the, the helmet uh, pushed down on his face. In fact, all of the art in this issue Features the character in their classic garb. And I just I really enjoyed that a lot. Uh, I would say go check it out, especially if you've got the first two. And if you don't have the first two, go grab the first two. Very fun book. Four out of five slices of meatloaf. Red Sonia Conan number three from Dynamite Entertainment. It was out last week. Big, big, uh, happy moment of my my week reading that issue. Nice. Matthew, what do you have for us? Also something from last week, right? It's a comic book from last week, week, week. Sam Wilson, Captain America, number one. Uh, written by Nick Spencer with art by Daniel Acuna, who, ooh, by the way. I like Nick Spencer. Ooh, I like Daniel Acuna. His art's good, too, yeah. 
Yeah, and he's doing something new with this issue. This, of course, is the first issue of the second volume of Sam Wilson, the former Falcon, as the new Captain America, or as oh, someone man. on the internet put it, he was demoted to Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, I, yeah. yeah. These number ones just give me a headache trying to figure out where it all lies, but go Honestly, ahead. Honestly, think of it as an endless series of limited series, and when the numbers end and the nor- story restarts, it's a new arc. That's I guess, the way I look at it. Yes, that, and I, that's the way I would like to look at it, too, but when Sam Wilson, Captain America number one, just came out, what, six months ago? I see this well, on the yeah, shelf and go, didn't I just buy this book not too long ago? I'll pass, because I think I just bought it, and that looks like a variant cover. So, But remember, in those six months, they put out like 11 teen issues. Yes. Um. But this is an interesting story because it gives us a new, flat-out, entirely new status quo for Sam. Uh, This is the story partly of his last mission for S.H.I.E.L.D. Captain America has has no longer working for S.H.I.E.L.D. His last mission, he fights Crossbones, who sucks. Crossbones is the worst character in the Marvel Universe. There's no reason to ever use Crossbones. Crossbones sucks. He sucks. He sucks and sucks, and then the issue's over. But neither here nor there. Captain America has captured Crossbones because, um, as previously spoken, Crossbones sucks, and turned him over to Maria Hill of S.H.I.E.L.D. And there's a really interesting bit, because this is all first-person narrative. Sam is on an airplane, a commercial flight, and somebody tells the uh, stewardess that he's Captain America, and the stewardess is like, hmm, He's like, you'd think I wouldn't get that too often. But then they cut to Maria Hill going. Yeah. <laughs> Maria Hill, of course, is upset with Captain America because he's cutting ties with S.H.I.E.L.D. He's cutting ties with the United States government. He's going entirely solo. And he has his own squad, uh, his uh, major domo sidekick and fighty fighty partner, Misty Knight, and his pilot slash bodyguard slash uh, backup, D-Man. And this may be the first time that D-Man has been treated straightforward as a superhero since uh, Kurt Busiek's run on Avengers in 1999. Yeah. But there's also a problem in that when Captain America cut his ties with the government, he made a public statement that he cut his ties. And he made a public statement that involved his own opinions about the state of the, the universe. And, of course, the Marvel Universe is having all of the same problems that our world is having in terms of separation of people yelling at each other and people going, oh, no, you're the devil. And, of course, Captain America's approval ratings are at an all-time low. However, everybody loves Red Wing. Oh, yeah, I love that series on CBS. Yeah, Red Wing, the the Captain America's uh, Falcon sidekick, now has a sonic cannon. So not only is Captain America flying into action on his cool hard light wings with an indestructible shield, he's accompanied by a falcon wearing a gun. So you got to love that. Uh, there are implications that there may be a romance between uh, Captain America and Misty. There are implications that people are hating him. And then, of course, there is the meat of the story, which has upset some news outlets in that the Sons of the Serpent – uh, well-known Marvel uh, scummy bad guys who are racist. It is part of their whole backstory. They're basically the KKK wearing masks in the Marvel universe. They have targeted people illegally crossing the border. And because the villain of the piece is against this, 
uh, certain news outlets have said that this is an un- un-American, terrible thing because we are also against this thing and the bad guys are against the thing. So clearly they're saying that we're all terrible people. I'm not going to speak to that because I'm really not qualified, but I can tell you on a comic book reading experience, this is a good book. The art is phenomenal. Acuna is doing something a little different with his style. He had that really smooth, almost luminescent coloring that he would do. This mm-hmm. is this is a little different. The art is slightly different, but it's still amazing. Uh, the thing that I really love is that you remember when the Falcon debuted in 1968, and he had that I, big, I remember that big gold thing around his neck, the Falcon necklace that he would wear. Yeah, Sam Wilson is wearing that on the airplane while he's traveling, and I'm like, <laughs> it's the thing from his old costume, and it's awesome. And of course, at the end of the issue, Steve Rogers shows up to take him into custody for being un-American and evil, which, uh, oh, by the way, Steve Rogers showed up. So Is he still I, an old dude? Yeah, he's an old dude, and he's working for S.H.I.E.L.D., which I think is going to be the point of this arc. I think we're going to see that somehow in the missing eight or nine months or weeks or whatever it's been, that there is a wedge driven between our friends. And we're going to see old Captain America and new Captain America coming to terms with each other, having opinions. But all told, a well-written issue, really likable protagonist, a really nice new status quo. It works as a first issue because if you didn't know anything about Captain America or the Falcon. If you came in, say you just saw Captain America, the first Avenger. Yeah. That's all you know about Captain America and the Falcon. You can pick this book up off the stands and it will make sense. It tells you what you need to know about the characters. It has some funny stuff in it. It has Captain America going through TSA security with the indestructible shield and explaining to them that technically it's not a weapon. So four slices of meatloaf for Sam Wilson, Captain America, number one. I don't know where the arc is going to go, but I'm interested in seeing. And I wasn't going to put this book on my whole list, but based on this first issue, it now is. Cool. Yeah. Like that a lot, huh? Yeah, good book. All right, cool. Uh, listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com and you can read a bunch of reviews over there. You can find out more uh, news stories. You can... Um, share your thoughts in the major spoilers poll of the week. Oh, hey, let's do the major spoilers poll of the week. All of the week, 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 it's week, week. All over there at majorspoilers.com. And this week we are continuing our super fight battle. <laughs> Can I do it? Can I from do it? Uh, Skybound Games. Uh, there is a link there in the show notes if you want to pick this game up. I find it extremely hysterical and a lot of fun. Uh, but this <laughs> week it's uh, we're going to pick the uh, the winner from last week, taking on a new entrant, Matthew, who are our entrants. In this corner, weighing in at 2,000 pounds, a giraffe that shoots blinding light from its hands and is armed with a super glue fire hose. <laughs> By the way, Glue Raff is my new favorite character. Okay. And his opponent, weighing in at 10 pounds and 5 pounds of nunchuck, a cat wearing a tinfoil hat armed with nunchucks. <laughs> All right. This is how the game works, right? You, you pull these cards out. <laughs> And from the cards that you're given, you're trying to take a character, you're trying to take a noun and match it with your adjectives and uh, and prepositional phrases. And you're trying to come up with the best uh, character to go and fight the other character. And then everybody has to talk about which one's going to win and why. And uh, Rodrigo, go. Well, uh, so last week it went to the giraffe. And I think it's because the giraffe has a lot of equipment and a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um 
But in this case, I think I would definitely bank on the cat. Because here's the thing. Um, when you're fighting a giant rubber head, then what you can bring, what is obvious in the equation is going to be the important thing. Your ability to shoot uh, searing light from your hands that you have somehow. Um, your super glue fire hose. Your uh, long, luxurious uh, spotted neck and so on. Um, but, uh, in this situation, especially with this opponent, like, I don't know that I'd bank on the giraffe. Basically, if you've watched any martial arts movie ever, mm-hmm. it's usually the least likely person that's a martial arts master. Mm-hmm. And so if you see a cat wander into this battlefield and then put on his little tinfoil hat and break out a pair of nunchucks, I would run. Mm, um, I just I assume that any cat that has mastered the nunchucks is going to be a force to be reckoned with. So I would definitely give it to the cat. I'm going to counter that Rodrigo and say, who is the greatest martial artist of all time? Bruce Lee. What does Bruce Lee wear? This most iconic outfit that he wears that people know right away. It's yellow and black. You're right. Yellow and black. (laughs) Who of our contestants is yellow with blackish stripes? Dramatic uh, spots, a giraffe. We do not know what color the cat is. Cats can be black and yellow. No. Um, so I'm going to go with giraffe just because giraffe is big and cats are kind of stupid. So uh, giraffe wins for me. Matthew? Well, here's the thing. Uh, most of us in the United States uh, are familiar with the reticulated giraffe, Giraffa camelopardus reticulata. And I think that there's an important thing we have to take into account with that giraffe. For one thing, it's enormous, but the way that they earn the right to reproduce, the male giraffes slam their throats, their necks into each other. And whoever has the strongest neck is allowed to reproduce. And then their genetics pass on and you get stronger and stronger giraffe necks. So if we presume in the year 2015 that the glue raff is a reticulated giraffe, as I think most people do, because that's what you picture in your head. You have to figure that decade after decade of inbreeding has given him not only powerful hands, but the most powerful neck. What's the cat going to hit him? Cat, you know, cat goes for the throat. Well, that's where he's most armored. That's where his muscles are. So the cat goes and starts hitting him. And of course, glue gun, if you cover a cat with glue. Now, I accidentally put duct tape on our cat, and he was so yeah, mad at me. Yeah, air quotes, accidentally. <laughs> okay, put fine. Put the duct tape Wait, on the I, cat. And I, put it I in wanted to see if it would stick cat. to the wall. <laughs> and then air quotes, cat, meaning child. <laughs> no, we actually did this once because we're terrible people, and we saw on the internet that a cat would walk around funny. This cat just leaned around and started licking and biting at it. So once again, as we said last week, Glue gun shoots that glue, and of course, it's got the fumes. Cat starts licking the fumes. Cat goes, whoa, unconscious because he's sniffing glue. The cat's like, "Uh," totally tripping and dreaming of imaginary girl kung fu cats, whereas the giraffe gets the three count, one, two, three. I'm going to go with the giraffe because A, thick neck, and B, thick fumes. The other thing to keep in mind is uh, that cat's going to swing those nunchucks and knock his tinfoil hat off, and then he's going to spend the rest of the time chasing and playing with the tinfoil hat. Right. There's no indication. Hang on, hang on, it's specific. Hang on a second. You're you're saying that the cat would yes. be wouldn't be well versed with the nunchucks, right? I'm just saying it's a cat. 
Right. With nunchucks. But but are, are we not assuming nunchuck proficiency? Because you I don't are know. forming an ungulate with a blue cat. <laughs> I'm just I think saying. We have, if you assume have, that they're not proficient. I'm just saying, even if, he, even if he is proficient with nunchucks, he's going to swing around, knock that tinfoil hat off, and then he's going to go chase after the tinfoil hat. And right. I think that in the spirit of last week's discussion about how the giraffe clearly has hands, by extension, right. we have to assume that the cat has opposable thumbs. Sure. And I would I would say I would even give the cat expert nunchuck capability. I would probably, if I were putting together the cat's sheet, I would give him a weapons focus with the nunchucks. So that sure. you know I'd be like more like a hidden dagger kind of thing. The but giraffe is like out. a thousand times the cat's size too. Well but we're assuming that yeah we're assuming like real size. I mean what if we're doing like anthropomorphized uh uh cosplayers or something. Then they I could be about the same size. Thing. It's yeah. just a real giraffe <laughs> with enormous <laughs> biceps growing out of its shoulder. That's, that's what I see. <laughs> Let's see. Brinning Dragonbread says the cat, because they are crafty little fur balls of concentrated evil, the giraffe would get uh, would fight honorably. Uh, don't forget, giraffes cheat. Uh, but the cat would fight dirty and do whatever it takes to win. Plus, everyone knows that all cats have supernatural power. So even if the cat were... Uh, to fight honorably, it would still have an enormous advantage unless the draft has access to the cat's only natural enemy, the spray bottle. Arju <laughs> uh, says the cat would win. The cat would be able to move quick enough to uh, evade the glue gun, and the tinfoil hat would deflect the light back to the giraffe. Plus, cats are natural serial or nature's serial killers. Um, Malone uh, says, I'm not going to change my teams now. Giraffe all the way. And then Andrea says, nunchucks always go with nunchucks. So in the comments section, you got yeah. more people who are into the cat than the giraffe, but that's not how the vote is going right now. We actually had that last week, too. The, all of the comments were defending the rubber head. Uh, but this week, 65 votes in the bag right now, 63%, almost a two-to-one margin, saying glue raff once again is going to take this match cat with a tinfoil hat is out um as the standing champion the graph actually gets an extra taunt and finishing move during the match according to the traditional rules of smackdown versus raw so that's also going to be a problem for the cat is you know he can put i don't know what you'd call it the stone cold creamery yeah the stone cold creamery move on him yeah no, For some reason, all I think of is uh, if this were a 1970s cartoon that uh, Scatman Carruthers would be voicing the giraffe. <laughs> Fanrific! <laughs> Listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com, cast your vote in the Major Spoilers poll of the week, or just point your browser to Majorspoilers.com forward slash poll, and you'll get to see the whole archive and read everybody's comments and vote and all those kinds of things. It's all over at Majorspoilers.com. While you're over at Major Spoilers, click on that Amazon link. Maybe you want to buy... Uh, this week's trade paperback, Iron Fist of the uh, Epic Collection. You can do it over at Amazon. You just click on it. It's 23 bucks for uh, the paperback. That's kind of the only, well, I guess you can get it in Kindle as well. But you get it delivered to your home. You get to read it. It's 500 pages of comics. And guess what? You're not going to pay anything more than the 2371 plus shipping. But a little bit does come back our way and helps us out and allows us to do shows like this uh, week after week after week. And uh, also helping us out are our longtime sponsors and friends, Tweaked Audio at tweakedaudio.com. Holidays, Matthew. Time to buy. Time to consume. Time to get a pair of Tweaked Audio headphones for that special someone in your life. Yeah. They're and, designed, your life. and they're designed for great sound, for great music, great talk. 
engineered for durability. Man, I love mine. I was listening to them today while I was uh, taking my son to the soccer. Compatible soccer. With, to the soccer. Yep. He was uh, he was playing them, and I was listening to my favorite audio book. And um, all thanks to tweakedaudio.com. Nice. Because it's the holidays. Here's the deal that I'm going to give you. Right? Because the holidays are coming up and I'm in my holiday spirit, when you go to tweakedaudio.com and you use the checkout code MAJOR, M-A-J-O-R, use that checkout code at, at uh, checkout, because where else are you going to use it? Right. But use that checkout code MAJOR. You're going to get 33% <laughs> off your price. That's the kind of deal we've got going during the holidays. Wow. Tweakedaudio.com. Uh, I had another question, but I forget what it was. Oh, my wife sent me an email saying, hey, uh, you know, uh, our theater is selling advanced tickets for uh, Star Wars if you want to get them. She's right in the middle of the show. She's like, yeah, she's like, hey, me an email. tickets? No, she's like, hey, in case you want to go get those. Uh, and I, she I knows looked. her people. Yeah, she does. Uh, I looked. I went over to their site. I may complete the purchase, but they're not sold out, so. I have a feeling I'll be able to walk up on uh, Thursday night at 7 o'clock and say, 10 tickets, please. And they'll go, okay. Urbiter. Nice. So this this week, we are taking a look at the, uh, the Iron Fist Epic Collection from Marvel. It's a giant trade paperback. 500, pa- uh, 500 pages uh, includes uh, volume one of Marvel premiere from 1972, issues 15 through 25. Iron Fist from 1975, issues 1 through 15. And Marvel team up uh, 1972, issues 63 through 64. I kind of wish I was uh, reading these as a, a a young two-year-old back in the 70s. Because <laughs> I, I, all I'm going to say is I thought this was awesome. Yeah, this is this is basically... This is Chris, well, Claremont is. Bef- Chris Claremont before he did X-Men? This is Chris Claremont before he did much of anything. This is John Byrne's first professional work for Marvel. He had been at Charlton Comics. This is super early Claremont. I believe that Claremont takes over... X-Men during this run. Oh, okay. Which is probably but, explains why the X-Men show up uh, towards right. the end. That very first issue, Marvel uh, premiere number 15 is notable for something that I've never seen in my comics in my entire life. <laughs> the first appearance of Iron Man or Iron Fist. Gil Kane pencils. with oh, yeah, Dick yeah. Giordano inks. It's the weirdest thing ever, and I love it. I'm just loving this issue. I never read the 15 before I read this. I'd, I'd never been able to afford it. I had so Well, it is. I mean, it is really cool. I mean, so here's the thing. It is a Kung Fu comic, right? Kung Fu comics yeah. were a big thing in the 1970s. Uh, thanks to the – thanks to the – yes, exactly. Thanks to the import of uh, the movies from uh, overseas. And so it makes sense that Stanley would sit there, you know what we need – we need he talks like uh, like this what we need is a guy that does the kung fu excelsior by 73 stan was out it was roy thomas and roy thomas was like you know what we need this would be we so need a guy who does the kung fu listen true believers here's what we need we need an iron fist a man who is a kung fu man and he gets his iron fist by fighting a robot imagine that you are iron fist Tell me that story in second person. You have to understand that this story is in second person. That you is the weirdest probably, thing because you really don't see that. You don't see that right. that point of view that often, a second person uh, narrative. See it, the only place I ever remember seeing it in a That choose your own adventure space, books? No, was Deadly Hands of Kung Fu with uh, Bill Mantlow's uh, Sons of the Tiger 
and or Shang-Chi stories, mm. which is mm-hmm. why I read that first issue. And I'm like, is this, is this Bill Mantlo? Mm. But no, it was not Bill Mantlo. This was actually the first issue written by Roy Thomas, who was uh, editor in chief, I believe. But yes. And the thing that's great about it is that continues throughout the series to where you get to the point where Marvel team up seven years later, they're like, you are iron fist. Like, no, I'm not. I'm just reading the book. (laughs) Stop scaring me. So here's the thing. And and Rodrigo, please jump in here. The thing about this is, and I, and I think I said this during our, our Spider-Man, whatever that omnibus uh, volume of Spider-Man was where we looked at like, was it issues one through 20 or something? Uh, We are getting the complete origin story of iron fist in this book where we see him as a nine-year-old and he grows up 10 years later to exit Kun Moon to seek revenge. And uh, it's just steeped in 1970s uh, tropes to the point where you've got the guy that's tripping out over uh, he's having Vietnam flashbacks and thinks everybody's the VC and he's talking all crazy. And we get to see the introduction of all of the important characters in Iron Fist's life for Danny Rand's life. And I think it's fantastic. Le Kung, the Thunderer, the August personage in Jade and some girl named Joy all feature prominently in the origin of the Iron Fist, which if you actually read it, it's the origin of Amazing Man from 1941, which I think is really beautiful. Basically, they've taken whole cloth, this other character's life, because, you know, he was out of print for 40 years by that point. And then at the end of the issue, they make a point of dedicating the issue to the original Amazing Man who inspired the whole mess, which I think is is both strange and entertaining. Well, Rodrigo, they also st- we also get I don't know if this is the first time we ever get introduced to Misty Knight, but I mean, we start yes. to see those relationships uh, uh, get brought up. What did you like about this first series run? Uh, well, it's 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 got a lot of personality. And I think I think the second person narration helps with that. You know, it's um, it's weirdly off putting. But also it like gets you in there, you know, it's like it tells you what Iron Fist is thinking, but weirdly it's more interesting than reading it in third person or hearing a running monologue, which you still get because they're still thought balloons. Right, right. Um, so, um, it, uh, which also it's interesting to see a transition to mid to late 70s Marvel comics, much less wordy than 60s Marvel comics, but not quite there yet. Yep. Um, there's a lot of stuff to like. There's a lot of kung fu stuff. I like that. You know, they call out Iron Fist moves as he does them. Oh yes, yes. Um, rhinoceros punch, giraffe right. kick, Tiger dragon strike. stamp. Yeah. yeah. If you actually look at uh, some of those early issues of Spotlight, those are drawn by Larry Hama, who is a martial artist himself. The Hama issues, he actually tried to do the strikes and kicks draw them appropriately. Great. So if, if you pay attention, it's actually really well done. Burn doesn't do that quite as much, but Hama was kind of a stickler for it. When did sure. Burn, what issues did Burn do in this? Uh, Burn kicks in. Probably the well, last a, ones. No, Burn kicks in about Marvel premiere number 22 because Pat Broderick takes over. And Broderick apparently, legendary, it goes like this. Broderick missed a deadline. And the editor said, hey, Byrne, can you get us an issue? And John Byrne, I think, shows up in Premiere 24 or 25. And he gets the job because he's like, hey, I can do an issue on time. Mm. And then with 25, they transition to his own series with Iron Fist number one, 
And I believe Byrne draws the rest of that run. Okay, because I'm looking at, like, issue 21, and they still have Arvel Jones doing the art. Yeah, Jones only does one, I think. Uh, Premier number 20, I think, is the last uh, Larry Hama issue. Larry Hama, of course, is the guy we know from uh, G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, yeah. And and uh, doing the art on G.I. Joe, too. He didn't do art for G.I. Joe. He is uh, doing some of it now, yes. Maybe now, but he didn't yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no. um, I really enjoy I this because it's like, you know, the cult of Kali is below the sewers <laughs> of New York. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's going to exact revenge on uh, the guy that killed his, his parents, essentially, or killed his right. father. Mother got killed by wolves. But um, and he has to <laughs> evade all these traps. And when he finally gets there, uh, Meacham is there. And he's like, I've been waiting 10 years for me to come come at me, kid. And I see like uh, Powers Booth or somebody playing playing him in the TV show. Right. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's just like I've built this elaborate traps and yet my daughter just waltzes right in. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like, Daddy, oh, I can't find my cheese. There's there's a lot of stuff about this that's just fantastic. It's fantastic comics and fantastic kung fu schlock. By by which oh, I mean yeah, that yeah. I mean like again, you know, it's like you must Iron Fist in order to prove yourself. You must defeat this robot, this like yeah, yeah. ancient ancient Himalayan robot. I guess um, it's like stuff like yeah, the cult of Kali is right underneath like uh, you know. 141st street or something right? <laughs> and like uh there's a couple other things oh yeah it's like yeah there's this like crazy vietnam sniper guy right and he's mm-hmm. killing people because he's having these crazy flashbacks do you, do you guys remember what that guy looks like mm, a little bit yeah which why the the vietnam guy your warhawk yeah warhawk, warhawk. he's blue yeah he's he's like a, a blue monster Basically, uh, like a blue superhero guy who just happens to be a killer sniper. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why is that guy that way? It's like because it's comics, and probably because the character had been introduced previously. Yes, and it's like well, instead of doing a kung fu riff on this one, I guess we'll just use this old character. And suddenly, Iron Fist is fighting somebody who looks a lot like um, what's that guy from X Men? Um, Beast. Corsair, not Corsair. Um, oh, yeah. You know, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Gladiator. Uh, yes. Uh, Gladiator from the Imperial Guard. That's who it is. Yep, yep. But I the, just – go ahead, Matthew. When it, when it comes to that, there's a couple of moments in this where the, it's clear that they're trying to do gritty down-to-earth stories because at one point it's about a crime lord. Mm-hmm. But the crime lord wears a cat mask and a, a tiger suit and giant triple irons and he's like i am jaka of the mountain and i'm going to take over the drugs in new york and i'm like these two statements do not mesh chaka but in the 1970s they probably really did well of course chaka was the name of the little bigfoot from land of the lost too so that's mm. always fun yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, what, it, is, it is just like so weird because it is it's like here's marvel comics and here's what marvel comics have been up until now it's right tights and capes and stuff mm-hmm. um and you know even more down to where it's stuff like your spider-man and your daredevil and all this stuff but it's like now here's this whole new influence and it just doesn't quite mesh you know but it's I, like but it's beautiful the, East, the way it does had, it. yeah they've had superhero basically their superheroes are martial artists right the martial mm-hmm. arts can bring you incredible powers give you super long lifespans you know, make your fist ass onto a thing that is perhaps maybe 
not unlike iron. Um, but when yes. you when you match that up with the stuff that Spider Man's been deal- dealing with up until now, it just seems weird, and it doesn't quite mesh. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm no. saying this book is a fascinating study in oh, what yeah. they kept and what they threw out. But see, yeah, here's I- the part where for me it kind of loses some of its its polish is because when it's Marvel presents Iron Fist and he's doing his own thing and he has his own storyline and we're getting introduced to Misty Knight and all these other characters that are that are helping him or hindering him and why uh, the professor's daughter goes from redhead to black hair, I don't know. Um, but the minute that it becomes Iron Fist, his own first issue, now we got to start bringing in the superheroes. And then first is uh, Iron uh, Iron Man, and then right. we get Spider-Man team-ups, and then the X-Men team-ups, which the best line in the X-Men is like, who is this guy breaking into the apartment? Don't you know? That's Misty Knight's special friend. And then Iron uh, Fittis is like, geez, does everybody know my secret identity? Yeah. And uh, But it's like once it hits into a regular title, suddenly he's thrown in with all of the superheroes, which makes sense. But to me, doing his own thing and not having to go and fight against Wolverine wearing that early costume uh, or, um, that's his you know, first, or, uh, space well, costume. Yeah. He stole that off Fang. Well, and really, really, that's true for, I would argue, 100% of all Oh, sure. Heroes. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's, it makes a lot more sense for you to have this weird kung fu story if Thor isn't around, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, that's true of every Marvel character. It makes a lot more sense for Spider-Man to do what he does if Thor's not around. And Daredevil, if Thor's not around. The moment Thor walks in, you know, it's like, why is any of this happening if Thor is here? Mm -hmm. I actually kind of like that. I like that verisimilitude to the Marvel Universe where, yes, Spider-Man was bitten by a radioactive arachnid. And Thor comes from this weird world where he actually inspired Norse mythos. And Captain America is this nerd from Brooklyn. And Iron Fist was raised in this weird hidden world in the Himalayas. It makes it feel like a wider story to me, which is why I always reject storylines which try to give everybody the same origins. And and you know what? When you have all of those guys together in the, uh, what was it, Uncanny? No, not Uncanny. It's the team up one. Yeah, no new Avengers. The new Avengers, right. So when you have all those guys together, it's super cool. It's like, where does he get his powers? Science, where does he get his powers? Technology, where does he get his powers? Magic. Right, exactly. So that's super cool. That's kind of what you want in those books. But when you're creating that, like, Iron Fist story, it's Mm -hmm. like the moment Iron Man walks in, it's like, oh, now we have to account for this stuff, too. Right. And it. It is interesting, both that this is Iron Man during the eight-month period that he had a nose on his armor. Very yeah. important. But it's also something where if you look at that first issue when he's interacting with Iron Man, they try really hard to balance this guy is a martial artist with magic powers and this guy is you know a flying tank. It's clear throughout the issue that Iron Man is holding back not to hurt the star of the book. And that really kind of works for me, too, because it's that classic hero misunderstanding nonsense where Iron Man could literally wipe Iron Fist off the face of the planet in that issue. Even with doesn't. fists of iron or fists that are unto iron. Well, right. that's he's got thing. a fist that's, of iron. Well, he's a man and, and of iron. Yeah, that's that's the thing is, I mean, that's that's a great example of that. And you will see, I mean, if you look at the Brubaker run, 
of Iron Fist, you see Iron Fist get powered up significantly, if not explicitly, then implicitly by introducing the fact that the Iron Fist has always been around and previous users of the Iron Fist. Right. right? So Mm -hmm. it, you know, and, and that actually happens even before that. They have to power up Iron Fist because he is just a super awesome kung fu guy that every once in a while right. goes, huh, and can punch you really hard. That's his only actual power. Right. And then right after these issues stop, um, that last issue transitions into the Marvel team-up story, which then transitions into the Luke Cage team-ups. So let me ask, where- so the Iron Fist story ended? I mean, the series ended? Yes, in, this is this, the complete okay. run of Iron Fist. One Volume 1, okay. And then the Marvel team-up stories, but Iron Fist started appearing in Power Man's book. Now, Power Man was born out of the black exploitation movie craze. Iron Fist was born out of the Chopsaki movie craze. They put them together, and the book ran for another seven years. Because as a weird team... They work really well, and I think that's As part of the, the most seventies book in the world, right? But it's also this is the story of Iron Fist, the outsider, returning to New York. So he grew up in Kunlun, and he was the little blonde kid who was never really who never really fit in because you know it's a hidden Tibetan city, and everybody else is there, and they're like, "Oh, we grew up with all this." And then he Except goes, "Except your uncle York. runs the place." Shh. And then he goes back to New York. <laughs> And he finds that he grew up in this weird alternate world, so he doesn't fit in either place. And then he meets Luke Cage from the streets of Brooklyn, and they become besties forever. But the thing about this book that's amazing to me, and I had never read this whole run in order, as with many of the 70s comics I own, I read them in the order that I bought them, and my brain sort of filed them in the correct reading order. This story throws in so many concepts to the Marvel Universe that are still around. This is the first appearance of the Daughters of the Dragon. This is the first mm-hmm. appearance of Chaka and the, the country of Halwan, which pops up every once in a while. These are the first appearances of Kunlun. This is the first appearance of all of these interactions. And this is the point where Misty Knight becomes roommates with Jean Grey of the X-Men. And then we have that whole storyline that pops up now and again. Then we have our cough switch, which keeps people from hearing us cough because we have a terrible cold. Yeah. But when you get to this point in the mythos, they're building stuff that still pays off in New Avengers in 2006. Mm -hmm. It pays off. And I I think we're going to see this stuff paying off in the form of, theoretically, if it ever gets made, the Iron Fist Netflix series because – So much world building goes on in these 20, 35 odd issues. It's weird stuff. This is the basis of the Marvel Knights in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because at this point, like Marvel Knights, the whole Heroes for Hire, Future Runs, all that stuff, you know, it all comes from this stuff. Daredevil isn't a ninja yet in 1970. Yeah, that's why I really like this a lot. It just, so I'm wondering. You know, everything in this uh, Marvel Netflix, um, world is all modern times right i was really hoping that iron fist would have been flashback dirty a 1970s dirty 1970s kung fu series but i don't think we're gonna get that it still can be i mean it can be very much very much so and i would think it would be because the way that even even just the first 10 issues of this book 
you could do the entire first season based on the first 10 issues of this book. And it would be really, really interesting. But I don't think it would work in this modern in this modern setup. It, it has to feel like a throwback to that time period. If you play it right, if you say that Kun Loon has been separated from the Earth dimension long enough that Iron Fist still feels like something out of the 70s, you could get away with it. But well, I think- uh, well, and, and the, the thing is, is like if you saw The Winter Soldier, The Winter Soldiers is a 70s spy tr- thriller yeah. set in the, you know, eight seconds into the future of the Marvel Universe. Like you can do it. You can do something, you know, look at Kill Bill. Kill Bill isn't set in the 70s, but there's so much, we'll say, homage yeah. to the mm-hmm. 70s that... It Homage. feels that way. But come on, in, in cleaned up in, in cleaned up uh, Times Square, New York, you're not going to find a cult of Kali uh, running around trying to no, off you. No. You know where you might find them? Red Hook. <laughs> Red Hook. Greenpoint. You know, you get down in – there are still parts of New York that are not what you would call the, the right, fully right. The gentrified the nice areas. Parts. Or even, you know, if you look at Daredevil, Daredevil takes place in Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. What they don't tell you is that Hell's Kitchen – Hasn't been. Oh, yeah, it's it's so for a long gentrified. Time. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can still get away with it. You can get away with those general sort of settings and saying things like Brooklyn. You can say things like Hell's Kitchen. You can say things like Harlem. And it all has implications that may no longer be true of the actual streets of New York, but they still carry narrative weight. So if you say, oh, it's a filthy, the filthy cesspool of 42nd Street and people are like, oh, like Midnight Cowboy not realizing that that corner is now the Disney store like you do. Mm. You can still evoke that same feel or heck you can say, I don't know, New Jersey. Now nah, gross. Hack. Don't hack on New Jersey. So what, what, what do you guys not like about, about this series? I think, the is there anything not to like? I mean, I kind of mentioned that once it turns into the team ups and the iron fist, its own series, I kind of lost some polish, but what else is there problematic? The biggest problem of it is the 70s publishing scheme at Marvel, which is to say that they came up with this character and they said, we're going to do it. And so that first issue is written by Roy Thomas with Gil Kane art. And then that second issue, they're like, okay, well, somebody else is going to write it. Len Wein, you write it. And now Gil Kane is gone, but uh, Larry Hama's on art. And then three or four issues after that, they're like, okay, Ween is out. Tony Isabella is on it. It's something where the concept was greenlighted for a run, and it didn't feel like there was an arc necessarily or a modern, that modern sort of expectation of a character arc isn't there. It's every month we need an issue. Let's get that issue out there. So until it turns into Claremont and Byrne, it's still good stuff. It's still 70s Marvel stuff, but it's not the consistency that I like out of the second half of the run. It's not as solid. I mean, as 70s Marvel goes, this is some of the better stuff for me. Yeah, it is. Partly because it doesn't tie too much into the really awful stuff that's happening. But Mm -hmm. also you get to see a young John Byrne evolving into the John Byrne capital J, capital B, even though personal noun names always have that. Um, (laughs) Evolving from this new kid into John Byrne, who would rewrite comics forever in 1983. Mm -hmm. 
just amazing to see that evolution from that yeah. first issue of Iron Fist yeah. through the, the Spider-Man team up issues. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's got I mean, it's got some really good, good stuff in it. But Rodrigo, is there anything that you did not care for? Uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, the most superficial thing is that it is wordy, but it's an old comic. And that's that. You're going to have to deal with that. And it's not a big deal. Um, the other is kind of a fundamental issue um, that really kind of both Iron Fist and Power Man tend to dance around, which is that this is material largely written by white dudes that comes from a different culture, right? And it's their adaptation and their set interpretation. of interpretations of it um so it has some issues there's you know there's been talk um not not from anyone official but you know people are like you know maybe for this new netflix series maybe iron fist should be an asian person you know and i'm i'm a big fan of that idea but it's not going to happen because you know the the idea of Iron Fist is what gave us stuff like the American Ninja and what continues to give us stuff of, you know, an American finds himself in this strange place and must adapt kind of stuff, which is hugely resonant with the American public. So, you know, you're always going to have that. And it's something, you know, I'm a big fan of Iron Fist. I actually really like Iron Fist. But it's something that's always kind of in the back of my head when I'm thinking about this stuff is like, well... He is wearing a mask that covers up, you know, 50% of his face. Like, maybe this guy should just be Asian. Yep. There you go. Or even uh, half Asian. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the, um, this was a listener voted. I mean, this was a listener recommendation. Everybody voted on it. And so we wound up with this. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that uh, we got to do this. One thing I would say, though, is be aware that this is 500 plus pages of comic books. Yeah. And um, you're not going <laughs> to want to try to. It makes me feel really bad for Ashley. I know. Who probably read this. I know. Uh, she wanted to read the other one and then didn't make it to the show. I thought she was going to. She said she was either going to send a audio file, which I did not get. Sorry, Ashley. Um, or she was going to record something, send us a, a message through the through the Skype. Also, did not get it. So we'll get we'll get us some quick overviews and thoughts from her. Uh, next time that she's on the show, but I'm glad she's got a, uh, some kind of acting thing that she's, she's working on. If it's a big part or little part or whatever, I'm, I'm really uh, pleased that she's doing that. But here's the thing. If you're going to pick up this book, which I hope you do, um, don't try to sit down and read it in one or two nights. Enjoy the experience. Read it over the course of a week or two or longer. Three or Um, four days. Yeah, maybe about two weeks. Read like two, two issues a night. And that'll, that'll take you 14 days. I'd say these are 18, 20 page issues. You'd get away with three to four. But I would agree. You want to space this out because it is early Marvel, which means every issue is going to be the equivalent of a four issue modern arc mm-hmm. in terms of the amount of uh, Rodrigo calls it the words. But yeah, the amount of storytelling well, that they show information, in too. I mean, yeah, yeah. They, they go panels through a lot panels. more story in a single issue. You'll have a panel that has, you know, the the, cap, the caption box and three word balloons and something else and a thought bubble. And, yeah, you will have that because there was a lot more explicit. And I think that in, especially at this point in time, they had a lot more expectation that more words meant more literary, which is also true, kind of in a way, sort of maybe. So when you look at this, this is something you – I can't. 
and did sit down and read this all in one sitting. And I, comic book reader guy who has a tendency to binge read stupid things, went, oh, man, this is too much to read all at once. So, you know, when, when the fat guy who's really worked up to being able to sit down and read 500 pages of comics at a time says, space it out, you can definitely think, you know, we're not just being awful about it. Take your time, parse it out. It's like chocolate. You love chocolate, but if you eat chocolate all day long, first of all, you're going to be sick to your stomach. And second of all, you won't get the golden ticket and you won't get to see Veruca turned into a giant blueberry. So really, however the sentence began, what I'm saying is go read the Iron Fist, dang it. The other thing I would keep in mind, too, is that both Rodrigo and I read this um, through Comixology. And if you're trying to download it to your mobile device, we had a lot of trouble downloading because this thing is a 1.2 gigabytes in size. And so it took me better part of a half a day to try to get the entire issue to download. I don't know if that's just a data transfer issue from Comixology or something else that's going on. But um, be aware of that as, as well. It's a it's a huge file to download. Any uh, final thoughts? Um, my final recommendation is go out and buy this book, whether electronic or physical. Uh, if you get the physical copy, I think it's going to look great on your shelf. But uh, definitely go out and read it. Matthew? Oh, yeah. Get it. This is – when I talk about the old comics runs that hold together, this is one of the 70s runs I'll recommend. This and your Swamp Thing and your Steve Gerber Defenders are really high points of a time in comics where comics didn't have a lot of high points. And Iron Fist has the advantage of being, first of all, a proving ground for two creators who went on to literally reshape the comic book industry. And it's a really fascinating character with a great look. And if you make fun of the slippers, I will cut you. I will find <laughs> you and I will cut you mm. because the slippers are awesome. And the, the slip who, who down makes, to the navel Who, who makes awesome. fun? Who makes fun of it? His slippers? You, you I do. don't. You do. No. No, they made fun of the slippers. Marvel Rodrigo, the Rodrigo slippers. final thoughts? Uh, there's a lot to like in Iron Fist uh, in general as a concept um, and, and as a, as a character and chances are you're going to go forward and find some iron fist stories you like, if you are interested in Marvel comics and this is where it all starts. So if you've always thought, you know what, I probably would really like this iron fist character. Then I recommend the, uh, Brubaker arc of, you know, the seven or the capital cities of heaven. And mm -hmm. if you like that, come back and read this. Cause this is where that all starts. Isn't that Fraction? Fraction in Is Asia? Is it Fraction? I thought it was Brubaker. Maybe it's Brubaker in Asia. Maybe it's Brubaker Asia and Fraction. You may be right. I don't remember. But yes, it's oh, awesome. Go read it. Yep, there you go. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this installment of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and sharing this with a friend. Thank you for those five-star reviews over at iTunes. It really does help us out. And thank you to everyone who is a VIP, our very important people. Uh, make sure that the servers and everything continue to run. We did our big mass migration over to our new, new server this week, and we couldn't have done it without our VIP support from listeners like you. And we would certainly like, I'm so excited I hit my microphone, I would certainly love it <laughs> if, I would love it if more of you signed up to become VIPs before the end of the year. Let's push that number past a thousand, everyone, and you can see some great things happen in 2016. 16. But uh, until then, we'll be back uh, next week to talk with you, and we're going to take a look at Gotham Academy Volume One because we know that you love comics, we do too, and we will talk with you soon. 
If I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC You've worked hard for what you have Your money, your assets, your 401k and home Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.